Good morning. I've had two cups of coffee. And God is so good. <laughs> I, I feel like I've just got to take my brain and just settle down for a second. Yes, I hear that. Great. <laughs> so, that song, what a beautiful name. You, Jesus, were the word at the beginning. John 1, right? In the beginning was the Word. Nothing was created without Jesus' doing. Amen? Jesus, like the Son. So the Father creates the world and so does Jesus. You are the Word of the beginning, one with God, the Lord Most High. Your hidden glory in creation is now revealed and you are Christ. And then I think about like... Okay, I, I, my, my wife has heard me say this way too many times. I can't help it. Doggone, man. God is huge. I was listening to a sermon by Louis Giglio. Anybody know who Louis Giglio is? A few of you might know who he is. Pastor, I, I believe he's a pastor. He might be just a, a speaker who travels. But he just gave this talk years ago about... Uh, the size of the universe, and you know, we keep learning about how big the universe is. We, we know that it's a lot bigger than we can see. Yeah? Yeah? The universe is huge. <laughs> Can't really talk about the numbers because we don't understand it. They're so huge. But he, uh, he started naming off some measurements about like how vast the universe is. And then he gets towards the end of his talk and he says, well, I want to take it just one step further. And I'm thinking he's going to talk about a galaxy. Instead, he shows a picture of Jesus on the cross. Holy cow! Think about what that means. Jesus created the heavens and the earth, yes? The heavens and the earth. He's one with God the Father. He has the power. He's bigger than the universe. And then he shrunk down to be our size. And he got killed by us. And then when he rose again and was glorified, he went back to the place that he was with the Father, yeah? Amen? Woo! We can't just picture this little, like, you know, the, the typical picture. You look in your Bible and you see a picture of Jesus. I mean, yeah, he was something like that for a little while with us. Not anymore. Amen? We got to think huge about God and about Jesus. And that's what we're going to attempt to do this morning. That's not like the main point of the talk, but whew, as we look at his word, we're not thinking small about him. He's, we, are, we are nothing. In his eyes. And yet, somehow, this little piece of nothing is the image bearer of God. We are the image bearers of God. He loves us so much. So, we're looking at Psalms again. Pastor Jerry uh, introduced us to our summer sermon series uh, last week. And I uh, did a fantastic job. And I've never preached out of the Psalms either, like, like Jerry talked about. So I am learning to study them better on my own, let alone learning how to teach them. So once again, we're learning together. Is that all right? It's participation. Is it okay that we do that? Yeah, we're learning together. Good. We're awake. We're alert. Maybe. Uh, so we're looking at Psalms 103 today, which was our call to worship. So if you want to start turning in your Bibles to Psalm 103 or flipping there in your phone, that's fine. That's what I do frequently. 
Um, so why are we jumping from Psalms 1 all the way to 103? It's one of my favorites. There's, there's no other reason for that. And uh, the great thing about the Psalms is they aren't necessarily dependent on one another when we're teaching from them. Um, I have read that there is tremendous value in reading them chronologically all the way through. I have yet to do that. But I'm sure that that's a good thing. So yes, please do that. But it's also okay that we just jump to Psalm 103 today. So just a couple things to keep in mind as we read the Psalms. Uh, I am just curious. You don't have to raise your hand. But think about maybe, I don't know how many people really read the Psalms on a regular basis. I hope that you do. And I hope that you do more and more. I have not a lot. I haven't studied through the Psalms a lot in in my short life. Um, But... I, uh, it, it doesn't make them any less God's word, right? As we look at all scripture, all scripture is God-breathed. So when we look at the Psalms, whether we're super familiar or they're just kind of something we're getting into, it's still God's word, yes? That's an amazing, I say amazing, but I actually meant to say a uh, simple statement. <laughs> it's an amazing statement. It's God's word. Second, um, you know, they're written by real people who had a relationship with God. Also an obvious statement, right? If they're going to be in God's word, well, then they had a relationship with God. However, just because they had a relationship with God didn't mean, mean that their lives were all roses, right? They still went through pain, just like we go through pain. And sometimes they write things that almost make you go, man, should a Christian say that? Right, But it's, it, they give us permission to come before the Lord no matter how we're feeling or how we're doing. I mean, like Jerry named off a pretty extensive list about like they, they went through depression, sorrow, grief, um, just anger sometimes at how the world was being. And uh, that's no different now. But they would always go to the Lord about that. And so we can, we can be okay with dealing with our emotions going to the Lord before we figure things out. That's good. We don't have to have everything figured out before we go to the Lord. Uh, But uh, we don't want to take that and think, well, that means I get to have a negative attitude all the time because I just need to be honest all the time and I'm negative. So we got to do something with that because all of the authors of the Psalms, when they would have laments that they poured out, well, they would eventually get back to a place where they remembered how great God is, how big he is, the things that he had done in the past Israelites many times would probably think about they were brought out of Egypt by God. They were not a people, and God made them a people. So they would go back to who he is and all the promises that he has made, and that's where their hope was at. So if that's where we're at this morning, you know, feeling depressed, sorrowful, for whatever reason, that's okay. That's okay at the time, for the time being. But the more we tie oh, got to calm down, right? The more time that we spend with the Lord and thinking about his truth, eventually he's going to change our hearts and catch us back up and remember God's got this he really does amen yeah um okay so uh lastly um the I was just talking about laments uh Jerry mentioned two other major genres for the psalms there's also praise and thanksgiving psalms of praise and psalms of thanksgiving sometimes those things go together um and today we're looking at psalm 103 it's obvious This is going to be a psalm of praise. And if you look under the title of the psalm, I'm uh, talking out of the ESV. Um, By the way, do you guys know that Pastor Jerry preaches out of the NASB? NASB? Because I was looking at my Bible last week, and I was like, that's not what it says. (laughs) So just future reference, it's way easier to follow along when you know the translation. (laughs) And once I fixed that, I I was good to go. 
Uh, but in the ESV, at least, I assume most Bibles have this, under the title of Psalm 103, you can see that David is the author of the title. Um, so I'm not talking about myself, obviously. Uh, we're talking about King David of Israel and the tribe of Judah. David wrote almost half of the Psalms. That's great. And he had a good mix of laments in there, in the Psalms that he wrote. Um, some of them were crying out because men were literally pursuing him, trying to take his life. Some of them were laments over sin. Like, it was a big deal for him to have sin because he knew it separated him from fellowship with God. And he, he wanted to get that fixed. It was a big deal to him. And he wrote a lot of stuff like that. But today in Psalm 103, it's not written from a gloomy place. It is written to charge himself to command his soul to bless the Lord, which simply means to praise him. If you get real literal, it's more about like a humble, a humble adoration of the Lord while you're on your knees, which is cool. Uh, but it's just in the general sense, it means to praise the Lord, bless the Lord. And so I believe that that's the purpose of this entire psalm. It's a command and an exhortation to the individual, to Israel as a nation, and to us as new covenant believers... To praise God with all that we are. And then to remember why. Remember the many reasons that we have to make a big deal about God. That's what I think the psalm is about, so that's what we're going to talk about, all right? But first, let's pray one more time and ask God for help. So, Father, as I've been thinking about this a lot, we say the word Father, and you hear us at the edge of the universe. You hear us outside the Milky Way, and yet you hear us right here in this room. I pray that you would enlarge our vision of you, Lord. That we would have more of these moments like Isaiah, where we are just undone by you and your majesty and your holiness. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and you're the only one who deserves that kind of praise. May we give you that, Lord. May everything else just shrink in comparison. Like we just sang, you have no rival, God. There's no one like you. No one's in your category. No one can even fathom of being in your category. And then in the same, in the same breath, Lord, you love us. Your heart is with us. So help us understand your word. Give us wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, we're going to look at Psalm 103. We're going to go through the first five verses first. And then we're going to go through another set. We're not going through the whole chapter. Uh, but first we're going to go through verses 1 through 5, one at a time. So look at verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. I like the exclamation point. I think it's kind of hard to read that verse without an exclamation point, right? I mean, you could try. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Right? I don't think so. That's all that is within me. There's your qualifier. All that's within me. Meaning all that I am, all of my thoughts, all of my affections, with the breath that God is putting into me. Bless his holy name. So we read this for call to worship. Obviously, we did that today. That was our call to worship. There's a good reason for this because it's beginning to focus all of our attention on the only one who is worthy of it, right? All of our praise. And sometimes in the morning, that's hard to do. 
Yeah? Can I get an amen for that? First thing in the morning, is it easy to just bless the Lord, oh my soul? Thank you, Jesus, for coffee. And I mean that. I honestly try not to leave my house without coffee. I try not to study the Bible without it. And it's not like you have to have coffee, right? But I'm very thankful for it. I, I don't want to look at God's word and be sleepy. I, I want to get what he's trying to say. I want to have a bigger view of him. And a lot of times if I'm tired and I'm reading, I might walk away from it and even forget what I was, you know, just go on to my next thing and completely forget what I was reading about. No. We got to wake up. That's why we're, that's one of the purposes of this psalm. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. It's, it's amazing how coffee or not, God's word is true and the Spirit can make Scripture alive to us and give us more energy and joy than anything else in all creation. It can. That's possible. You can read God's Word and be supercharged in Him. It doesn't always happen that way. But we can still know that and, it, and be dragging when we first begin, right? So that's the point is, like King David, we've got to preach to our soul. Come on, soul. Bless the Lord. Not just a little bit. All of it. Yes, Andy. I can always count on you, buddy. <laughs> yes. All that's within me, bless his holy name. Verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Forget not all his benefits. Aren't you glad that there are benefits in the Lord? What benefits, you might ask? What benefits are there in being in the Lord? Well, King David tells us, starting in verse 3. Who forgives all your iniquity? Well, there's a good one. There's a good benefit in the Lord. In fact, I think that's the best one. And I don't know if King David did this on purpose or not. I don't know if he wrote a list and wanted to start with the most important one and work his way down. But it would make sense to me, because if I'm struggling to find a reason to praise God, I should first think of the fact that he forgives all my sin. May we not be numb to that truth. It's interesting. Um, I've been working on this uh, passage for a little while now because I knew about it, you know, with a lot of time in advance. And, you know, by the time I'm getting to this point here preaching it to you, I've heard it a lot. So... It's almost like I could just read that and move on. May that not be true of us. May we stop right there. And I think that's a big thing about the Psalms is that when God speaks or when there's something written like this, we don't want to just read a Psalm like a chapter, like we're studying history necessarily. Not all the time anyway. We want to take each part and chew on that. And if you've got to chew on that for a week, then do it. He forgives all your iniquity. And if there was no other truth than this, we still have a great reason to bless the Lord simplest truth and what's really crazy to think about now is the fact that this was written in the old testament to israelites first possibly hundreds or even a thousand years before jesus ever came to the earth god is the same yesterday and today and forever he's never changed and he's always offered forgiveness for sins so israel knew that god would one day send a savior and obviously we can look back now and see that fulfilled in Jesus on the cross. 
right? So it's just really, really cool. Sometimes you think about how were the Old Testament people even saved? How could they say this, right? They knew who Jesus was. They knew the idea of the Messiah coming. Now, maybe there were some who fell away, and we'll talk about that a little bit, but some of them just simply believed God, and it was credited to them as righteousness. Now, we're not going to talk a ton about that this morning. That could be a whole nother, like sermon series, but just think about that. The same God who saves us is the same one who saved them before Jesus ever came. So they could sing, the Israelites could sing with King David in confidence that, yes, God is the one who forgives all their iniquity. It's a beautiful, beautiful, gracious truth. Look at the rest of verse 3. Who heals all your diseases. That's good news, too. That's a great benefit. Does this mean that God healed all of Israel's diseases? That's a great question to ask if you're studying the Bible. Does that mean all of them? And actually, no, that's not what that means. Um, In fact, the Israelites had suffered 70,000 deaths because of one disease. And it's interesting, that happened to them because of something that King David did. King David wrote this psalm, Bless the Lord, O my soul, bless the one who forgives, forgives all your iniquity and who heals all your diseases. Yet he also knew that there was something that happened from him that caused death in Israel, okay? Now, you can read more about that in 2 Samuel 24, if you so desire. That's why it's in parentheses up there. So there were certainly times in Israel's history when God did not heal all their disease. But any time that they were healed, who gets the credit for that? Boy, we're really quiet this morning. Who gets the credit for that? Who gets the credit for healing their disease? Anytime it happens, yes, God gets the credit for that. That's the point. So for us, we need to remember the times that God has healed us and bless the Lord because of it. It reminds me of in 2015, uh, I've told this story many times, but back when my wife was pregnant with our daughter Ruby, uh, in the very early stages of pregnancy, we went to a doctor's appointment and were told that according to the measurements, the baby, Ruby, had stopped growing in my wife's womb. This is very early in the pregnancy. And we had already had two miscarriages before before this. So that was shattering news. Baby stops growing in in, uh, mother's womb. And um, it rocked us. We probably prayed more than we ever had before that time, which is one of the things that God does when we go through hard stuff. We pray a lot. Um, And we actually, we had many people praying anyway, and we had a special prayer meeting uh, here with the leadership and some family. Um, The day before Annie was going to go back, my wife was going back for another appointment. So she goes after our prayer meeting the next day, and uh, lo and behold, baby's growing. Um... And here we are six years later, and she's happy, she's healthy, she's in the children's wing right now. Now, I've had this thought, did God really heal her, or was it just a miscalculation and she was fine the whole time? I'll never really know the answer to that question. All I know is that we prayed, and she's okay. That's all I know. So regardless... We give glory to God. I give glory to God as I remember what he did for my daughter. 
And any time that we experience healing of any kind, whether it's through medicine or surgeries or therapy or some unexplained phenomenon, we remember the author of our bodies and give glory to him. God is the one who heals all your diseases. And I don't think about that story often enough. I mean, that was now six years ago. But I'm rocked when I think about that. That was so horrible. And yet I remember what God did. And there are plenty of times that I've prayed for healing and I have not seen it. I bet I'm not unique in that situation. That's why we don't read this psalm and think, oh, well, there it is. He heals all your diseases. So just have more faith. And if it doesn't happen, well, then you should have had more faith. King David wrote this psalm. He knows. He's experienced death and disease. He knows what he's talking about. We read this psalm just to remember the benefits of the Lord. That when he does heal, we give him all the glory for it. When he doesn't, we trust him. We go to the psalms of lament and we can really deal with it there. But that's the point is remember that God is the one. Whenever anything happens that is inside of our bodies that can't even be explained, we just, we just give God the glory for that. Because, what does Job say? The spirit of God made me, the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Take a big breath. That's God right there. That's the miracle right there. Amen? Somebody? Yes. Amen. Sorry, I don't want to be a cheerleader. <laughs> but I just want us to think big about God. So look at verse 4. It says, Who redeems your life from the pit? Psalm 4. Or Psalm 103, 4. The Hebrew word for pit is a broad word that mostly relates to death. So God has redeemed David from death. David had a lot of enemies. We talked about that a little bit. It's possible that when he says this, he's talking about how God saved him from being killed by his enemies. Um, it's also possible that David had a deeper meaning for this verse in that God saved him from the eternal pit, death apart from God in hell. I think as uh, believers, we can and should read this verse both ways. If we've ever had a near-death experience of any kind and we were saved from it, well, then we can look at this and relate to it and say, yes, God saved us from the pit. He redeemed us from the pit. But so much more than that, so much more than that, we need to think about how God has redeemed us from the eternal pit of hell by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's redeemed us from hell. We sang, I, I love this, um, one of my daughters was talking to me during the worship set. And uh, during one of our songs, it talks about how, um, let's see, he's come to save the hell-bound man. The hell-bound man. And she's like, what's that mean? That means God saved the person who was once headed to hell. All of us. So when we think about this simple little verse, who redeems your life from the pit... That's what we need to think about. How can we think of that and think anything else other than praise God? It happens. So that's why we preach to ourselves, right? Come on, soul. Praise God. That was intended to wake you up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. So our list of benefits continue in verses 4 and 5. He is the one who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. 
And uh, we're not talking about God like just granting long life here. Anytime I see this verse, I think about what Paul says in the New Testament when he says, Though the outer self is wasting away, the inner self is being renewed day by day. Which means that we get energy from the Lord when we read his word. We get, it's like uh, Jesus said, Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. God restores us on the inside. We're being made more like him, even if our body's falling apart. Amen? Some of us know this more than others. We're all headed the same direction, no matter where we're at on that spectrum. We're all falling apart, but we're all redeemed. Mm. So all these things are what, God, what David is talking about when he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. How easy is it for us to come in here in church, bless the Lord together, hear his word, and then leave and immediately forget his incredible benefits. I say that from my own experience. Anybody else? We got things to do today, I'm sure. Places to go, things to eat. Come on. I'm with you there. So that's why we need to be just like King David. You know what? David is uh, called in Scripture, uh, King David, a man after God's own heart. And if there was ever a title that we should want to have, that's it. A man after God's own heart, a woman after God's own heart. And even David still had to remind himself to praise the Lord because humans are prone to forget. So may Sunday morning be only the beginning of our praise that continues with us every day throughout the week. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. All right, now we're going to look at another pocket of verses, which are more so my favorite. One of the main reasons I love this passage. We're going to be looking at 7 through 14 and just keeping this idea of reasons to praise God. It just keeps getting better. So uh, let's start with verses 7 and 8. And as we go through this, I hope you can see this is kind of a pattern you want to follow when you're studying the Word of God. Right? Like if something screams out at you, wow, that's an amazing thing about God, then park there and just, you know, like we're not, this is not our normal expositional preaching. It's more just about encouraging your heart. And um, so just keep that in mind as we read. Starting with verse 7, this is interesting. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Anytime we see something that says the Lord is, we want to pay attention to that. There's a lot of things about God. Some things need to be understood with multiple things put together. Some things are a little more difficult to understand. But right here it says the Lord is, what is he? Merciful, gracious. And it says he made known his ways to Moses. All right, so let's travel back into Moses' land. Can we do that? So we've got to work on our brains to picture Moses. God sends Moses back to Egypt to rescue the Israelites from slavery. It's not Moses rescuing, it's God working through Moses. So then they leave. God literally parts the Red Sea. I don't know if you guys have ever seen a picture of the Red Sea. It's huge. God parts the Red Sea and sends his people out on it to escape from Pharaoh. They get on the other side, and within three days of being on the other side, what do they do? Anybody know? Say it loud. Complain. 
How dare they complain? You know what they complained about? <laughs> you know what they complained about was not having enough food. I do that too sometimes. I don't have as good a reason as they do. If I was out in the desert for three days, I'd probably be complaining too. But they didn't just complain. Here's what they said. They said it would have been better if they had just stayed in Egypt. They just walked through the Red Sea. They were in torment in Egypt. It wasn't a good time. But somehow, three days in the desert, under God's care, they're saying it would have been better if we just stayed there. There's a point to this. Um, And honestly, in the flesh, if I was God, Israel would not have made it much further after that. Good thing I'm not God. And good thing he's changing my heart. Um, But God continued to take care of them and provide for them. So not long after this, we read this conversation between God and Moses in Exodus 33 and 34. Moses says to the Lord, now remember, we read verse 7. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. Moses says to God, Lord, please show me your glory. I want to see your glory. Our imagination can go all over the place about what God's glory looks like. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name. That's it. The glory. I want to see God's glory. He's like, I'm going to let all my goodness pass before you and I'm going to tell you my name. Okay? So the next day, Moses comes back and God covers him with his hand. Don't picture this. I don't know what God's hand looks like. God's not like us. Think huge. God covers Moses with his hand somehow and proclaims this. The Lord. The Lord. A God. Merciful and gracious. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's how God makes his ways known to Moses. This is who God is. Merciful, gracious, even to a people as stiff-necked as Israel. Notice it says he made known his ways to Israel. They knew who he was. This is God's character. And that phrase right there is repeated in the Old Testament multiple times. The Lord is, is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's good news. David's reminding the Israelites of God's character. And we can know that God is the same way toward us. Especially things like slow to anger. How often do we think, ah, God's got to be upset with me. He's got to be angry with me. Maybe. But he's slow to anger. Hold on to that thought. Look at verse 9. He will not always chide, which is explained with the next phrase, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Aren't you glad that God does not give us what we deserve? Yeah. Aren't you glad God doesn't keep his anger forever? Because if that's not who God is, then the Israelites would have never made it out of Egypt. But because that's who he is, there was hope for his people, and though many did fall away, still many were saved because they truly believed in him and trusted in him for salvation, even though they didn't fully understand it. Boy, that's good news for us. It means that every single person is welcome in the family of God. No matter what you've done, 
Some of us think about things we've done and go, I don't know. We'll deal with that. Not a single person who repents and believes in Jesus will ever be dealt with according to his or her sins. Now, come on. If that's not a reason to rejoice and bless the Lord, oh, my soul, I don't know what is. Let's continue with verse 11. (laughs) For as high as the heavens are above the earth. Before we read any more, picture that. Picture no roof. As high as the heavens are above the earth, what? So great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. Yeah? Come on, don't lose that. Think about how huge that is. Now listen, there, was no, there were no telescopes or satellites back in King David's day. All he could do was go out and look up at the clouds. Or he could look up at the stars at night. And God spoke into his heart and said, This is how great my love is for you and for those who fear me. Did you know that if you take the distance of the earth to the sun, how much is that, somebody? A lot. 93 million miles away, right? If you take that number and you multiply it by 270,000, you cannot think this big, guys. If you don't feel like a speck, I don't know what else to tell you. (laughs) That's four light years away. That is as far as you can see without a telescope. You can see a star, maybe as dim as it might be, from that distance, 93 million times 270,000. So David had, could potentially have been looking at the stars way up there. And he's thinking that's how vast God's love is. Four light years away. And we know the universe is a lot bigger than that. Now, is the point that we can get to a certain point where we're beyond the heavens. And then we know the limit of God's love. Do you think that's the point? I know I'm leading the witness here. <laughs> sorry. Not so Sorry. No, that's not the point. David had no real way in his time to measure the heavens. Couldn't measure the one who created them. And that's why he compared the love that God has for those who fear him to something that couldn't be measured. This is true for David. It's true for the Israelites. For you and me and all who fear the Lord. You can't really imagine the amount of love that God has for you. Think big about God's love. Think until your brain breaks. I think that's a healthy exercise. We, I'm serious. Like, you just go ahead and go on YouTube and, and uh, check out one of those uh, from Earth to Universe tours. And try really hard to track the measurements as they, as they go. And they just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And he's outside of all of that. And his love is as high as the heavens are above the earth. Look at verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, try it again, try to picture this, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Here we go again. Can you measure as far as the east is from the west? I mean, if you're cynical. Well, we know uh, the circumference of the earth. 
And that's okay if you feel that way. But I hope you start to realize David is once again talking about something in his mind that cannot be measured. Because if you could measure as far as the east is from the west, at some point you're going to find those transgressions again, yeah? Yeah? The stuff that you thought was paid for by the blood of Jesus, if you could measure the east from the west, at some point you're going to find that again. But you can't. You can't. It's gone. Come on, guys. Yay! It's gone. Maybe you need to hear that this morning more than anything else. You can't find it anymore. The blood of Jesus covers our sin from here until eternity for all time, past, present, future. If it couldn't do that, then we probably could measure the east from the west. But we can't. (sighs) Wonderful. Truly limitless, can't be measured. Looks like I uh, already said that point in so many words. I'm going to skip past that. (laughs) Great. So I I think in particular, I'm talking to people like myself who once in a while, you know, we've repented of our sin, but but we still carry around guilt and shame and wonder, can God really love us? Well, if you ever feel that way, one, just go out and look up at the stars. Look up at the sky and know that far beyond that, if you could quantify God's love in an image, that's it. And then take it a step further and think of Jesus on the cross. Come on. Let's finish with verses 13 and 14. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are what? Dust. So sweet are these words. Dust is such a crazy word, especially in the vast size of the universe. Not just the size of dust. He literally formed man out of the ground. And he's like a father. He's perfect. A perfect, compassionate father. And, you know, some of us might have an image of dad or father in our minds that's not quite so pretty. And I just want you to know that that's, that's not who God is. Look, I'm a dad. I'm a very imperfect dad. I depend on God's grace every day, and somehow he's making me a little more like him every single day. I'm not God. He's in me. He's making me new. I'm not God, though. He is the perfect father who never had a, a harsh word out of his mouth towards his kids that didn't have a purpose to make them more like him. Like, he does it all perfectly. Sometimes I say something and I wonder, oh man, should I have said that? Ten minutes later, I'm asking for forgiveness from my kid. because I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. God's never happened to say that. Never. He loves you. He has compassion. Perfect compassion. Maybe you didn't even know compassion from your father. I don't know that. Some of you might know that. He's got compassion. Let's just humble ourselves before the compassionate Father. And, you know, we boast about a lot of great things. As men, we make a big deal about a lot of things, but God knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He knows that because he formed us, and he loves us. So, to bring it back to the purpose of this psalm, at least in my estimation... All this knowledge and remembering the incredible benefits and character of our Lord should cause us to praise Him more and more. The more we truly know about Him, 
especially when I think about the universe. The more we learn about him, the more we should worship him, the more we should praise him. And even with all this knowledge, we've got to remind ourselves to praise him because we're going to walk out of these doors real soon. And then we're going to have all kinds of stuff. Some things really good, right? But they distract us from the greatness of God. So we've got to remind ourselves daily, multiple times a day, as long as, as long as we're on this earth, to praise God. Amen? All right. Let's pray. Father, we humble ourselves before you. So many, so many good words in the Psalms. Where can we go from your presence? It's futile. You're here with us, God. You love us. You hold us together. Every ounce of creation is in the palm of your hand. And we think the earth's big. <laughs> the heavens declare the glory of God. And so does our bodies and all the chemistry inside of them, Lord, that you, <laughs> you didn't have to study for. You just spoke and we're here. You spoke and science and math and everything else is just here. And we're just fumbling around trying to figure out how it all works. And as our brains break, Lord, we humble ourselves before majesty. Specifically you, Jesus. Name above all names. We honor you, Jesus. May we have the biggest and best view of you above all things. You have no rival. Teach us your ways, Lord. Thank you that you are kind. You are compassionate. You are merciful and gracious. You're slow to anger. Speak that into our hearts today, Lord. For anyone who's just feeling weight of anger, maybe, Lord, I pray you would speak into their hearts and say, no, I'm slow to anger. I'm patient. And if we have sin to deal with in front of you, Lord, help us to do that, but to know that you welcome us as we confess sin. You love that. You rejoice over that. May we praise you with all that we are, Lord. Take us to that next step. Wherever we're at, Lord, in our relationship with you, take us to the next level, Lord. Help us not stay stuck. In Jesus' name, amen.